Hey, everybody, and welcome to week one of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. My name is Andrea Pagnosi. I am your host, and I'm also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everybody to from where they are in their career to where they ought to be in 2022. Today, we're going to peel back the layers of leadership today with an exciting guest to talk to. I know that many of our listeners are ones of, hey, I'm at a point in my career where I want to pivot. This person is the personification of pivot in their career, and she has a fascinating background. Her name is Stephanie Simpson. She's an artist, coach, facilitator, speaker, and a published author. She's the author of the 21-Day Stress Management Workbook, a holistic interactive guide to redefining your relationship to stress, drawing on her background in movement, meditation, trauma, and psychology. She partners with people and businesses, as well as organizations, to achieve their greatest potential by nurturing the connection between mind body, and spirit. Stephanie works with individuals, groups, and teams in a variety of different industries from finance and education to technology and healthcare. She's a keynote speaker, a workshop facilitator, and a consultant for businesses globally. And she's a freelance meditation writer for the Shine app and a contributing expert for her campus media. I don't know how she's finding time in her schedule to join 52 Weeks of Empowerment this week, but I'm sure glad she did. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's such an important topic to be discussing. And I mentioned at the start of the program that you have a pretty unique pathway. When we talk about conscious leaders and creating a trauma-informed zone in the workplace, we like to tap into people who have that sort of Zen mentality. And you've, over your experience professionally, really created that sort of mindset. Can you tell our listeners how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So it has been a, I would say a very curved and windy path. So I started my life really as a dancer and an artist in musical theater and modern dance. And the first, I'd say 15 years of my professional career was doing that exclusively, whether that was performing myself or directing and choreographing. And it was when I went back for my MFA in dance performance and choreography back in 2010, and I was figuring out what I wanted to do for my thesis that I kind of looked at myself first and was like, what do I feel like I'm struggling with? And I knew I had this moment where I was like, I want to do something for my thesis that isn't just for the now, that is for something that's going to set me up. That's a foundation for the future. But I didn't know what that was. And I took a very different path than many people in my program, because I was really interested in why was I not performing to my potential in auditions, in some classes, in on stage. And then I started seeing that like some of my dancers and my students were struggling with the same thing. Like why in rehearsal were they nailing their pirouettes? But then as soon as they got on stage, they would almost freeze sometimes or fall out of a pirouette. And I was like, there's got to be something here. And I was really fortunate at the time to be connected to the basketball community and like a really high level aspect of the basketball community and got to talk to a lot of wonderful co basketball coaches out there and started learning that many of these amazing basketball coaches had a background in psychology and that when they are coaching and training their athletes, that it really is more about the mental part of it than it is the physical part as you're getting higher in your, in your athletic career. And I was like, well, there's so many parallels to dancers and performers here, you know, as you go up in your professional life. 
And then really started thinking about like, what is this mind body connection? So I started studying sports psychology, positive psychology, self psychology, and really looking at how fear shows up in and how fear might stop us from performing optimally. And it was through that work that I then started working with people one-on-one and getting mostly performers at the time and getting their mind to work with them and for them so that they wouldn't, you know, have performance anxiety or freak out or any of that sort of stuff. And they started working with leaders because in sports psychology, there's so many great frameworks and models for how to be a really effective leader and get both your individuals and your team to perform optimally together. And that there's these layers, right? That really good leadership is not one dimensional. You have to be able to see everybody as individuals and support them individually and support the team as a whole. And I started realizing that that wasn't being talked about and trained in the business world and in all these areas that I was working in. And so my coaching work started taking off as I was continuing to still do the dancing and the performing and the directing and choreographing. And I just continued to stay curious and stay open. And I was also trying to like heal different things in my own life, which then led me to yoga and mindfulness and Reiki and meditation and different somatic practices and understanding more about our our nervous system and specifically how can we get into the parasympathetic nervous system so that we're not always in the stress cycle. And that led me to go back to grad school in 2017, this time for a master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in spirituality, mind, body, and a focus on organizational development and change. And in that program, I was really looking at our relationship with stress. I started noticing how that became a really big thing in my life and other people's lives. And what was that doing and and how that was leading to burnout? And this is, you know, pre-pandemic. So now we're even a completely different place navigating the pandemic and hopefully an endemic soon and how we can redefine our relationship with stress because we actually need a certain amount of stress in order for us to perform optimally. It's when it becomes overbearing and overwhelming that it creates some problems and how that was affecting workplace cultures and where did we need to go in to kind of like create change. And I noticed that a lot of it had to do with leaders again, and how are leaders managing their own stress and how are they being conscious and aware of that so that they're not projecting it onto their teams. And yeah. And so here I am now uh, doing this full time. Your background is so prolific because it really just every step of the way you built your story so that you could find your calling. It kind of goes back to what I like to tell people, trust the process. Don't try to overthink it. It will bring you somewhere. And it's yours is a, is a background that really speaks to that. I want to take a step into social psychology for a moment. I started out the program talking about the clients that I work with and the, and the many that listen to our program who are in the place of pivot or they're in a place where in their career, they're not quite where they want to be. And a lot of that hinges on, and they say a leader can make or break your experience. A lot of that hinges on who's leading you. In today's world, from a social psychology perspective, you're one of very few people who are actually looking at the psychology behind leadership. When you talk to clients, potentially, when I know you work with academia, I know you work in a lot of different facets. Do people seek you out 
or are you finding that you have to really kind of explain to them the connection between psychology and socialize that as it pertains to management? It's a great question. I would say it's a both. And there are some people who seek me out because they're at a place like you just mentioned, where they're like, there's something that needs to change, you know, whether that's, I'm looking to become a leader myself. And so I want to empower myself to be the best candidate when promotions come up, or maybe they're like, I need a change and I need to switch industries or switch companies. And so they'll seek me out. There are certain industries that are becoming more aware that their workplace cultures are not the most ideal, right? That people are just surviving and not actually thriving. And that what we used to call as like wellness perks or like wellness packages that were primarily around like, Hey, we're going to do yoga on Fridays at lunchtime, or, you know, we're giving you a discount on the gym membership or things like that, that that was great though. It wasn't really a holistic way of creating sustainable trauma informed workplace cultures so that people are thriving. Right. And so they're starting to go, Oh, we need to have like a chief like culture officer or people officer or well-being officer. There's so many different names that are coming out now and realizing that a lot of it has to do with the leaders and that there are these big gaps from when people, you know, get in uh, hired because they're really good at what they do in their content area. And then they work their way up and now they're a manager. And, you know, we can debate the differences between managers and leaders. And I feel like we can be both um, and we can be effective at both at the same time. And a lot of people feel that when they get into that management, that leadership position, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. And the thing that they actually were really good at, they're doing less of. And now the thing that they're doing is managing humans. And many of them haven't taken the time to understand themselves as a human. So it becomes really challenging to be able to understand other humans, connect with other humans, give feedback to other humans, have uncomfortable conversations with other humans if they haven't done the work on themselves first. So when I'm leading any sort of conscious leadership program or coaching or training, we always talk about how conscious leadership is about shifting from the I to the we. And it's about reflecting on who you are as a person so that you can show up more fully as yourself and hold and create safe spaces for others to do the same. Which if we were successful, at nothing else in our career, and I've been a people leader, that's always what you start out of the gate wanting to do. And then somehow to your previous point, it becomes administrative, it becomes bureaucratic, it becomes political, it becomes about anything other than the individuals that you serve. And I really look at leadership as servant leadership. I was always Mm -hmm. cultivated in the companies that I work with to believe that. I'm glad that you said before when you were talking about your background that there's always a healthy amount of stress that's needed because one of the most stressful Mm -hmm. jobs I ever had was leading others. But one Mm -hmm. thing that we don't need but can happen through a leadership employee relationship is there can be some tension. There can be some anxiety, some stress. How do you assess the clients that work with you as to how conscious they are of how they give off certain energy to their employees and their teams. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm so glad we're getting into the stress component of things because it it is a factor of life. And so you'll notice like when I created my workbook, it wasn't about how do we like get rid of stress? It's how do we redefine our relationship with stress? And the first thing you need to do is to be able to acknowledge that stress exists in your life and then get clear on where is it coming from? So one of the things I do with all of my clients, whether it's an individual, a team, a group, a whole organization, is they take um, an assessment that I'm trained in called the uh, Energy Leadership Index Assessment. And um, I am a trained ICF certified coach and I'm trained through IPEC and our framework is the core energy leadership framework. Um, And it's a kind of funny story how I found myself there, but it was very synchronistic that I found IPEC when I did. And what I love about this assessment is that it's an attitudinal assessment. It's not a personality assessment. So when you're getting your results, you're getting a snapshot of what you're, how you are right now and how you're showing up in these seven levels on a good day and during your stress cycle. And it is an assessment that you have to do it with, you have to take it and then go through a debrief with a certified practitioner because the whole point of it is to understand how these levels are showing up when they're serving you, when they're not serving you, and then identifying areas that are areas for development and growth. And so really we kind of see the difference between that top chart of like your good day and then the bottom chart being when you're in your stress cycle and how can we shift and bridge those gaps. And the other thing I love about that assessment is that it's it's allowing you to understand more consciously what level you're showing up in, right? It's happening whether you want it like whether you know it or not, but the more conscious you become, the more aware you become, then you create more choice. And when you create more choice, you create more power. And the other thing I love about this and coming back to something you said earlier about people being like, I want to shift. And maybe it's because of the leader I have or things like that. We can't control anybody else in our lives. We can only control how we respond to things. Right. And so this framework and this assessment really helps us to have like a grounded, tangible way to go, oh, wait, right now I can feel myself reacting in level maybe two. And I really want to respond in maybe a level five. So what do I need to do? I need to practice some things that maybe come from level three so that I can like reground myself. And then I want to come from a level five perspective when I respond to this person. What else it's done for some of my clients has gotten them to be able to kind of understand other people a little deep more and kind of understand that like not to take things personally. Maybe someone is reacting the way they are and being like, oh, this isn't about me. How can I meet them in a different place? And the higher we get up in our own consciousness, others start rising with us. Right. And so that's really, again, where conscious leadership comes in. If we're doing the work to be more conscious and in how we're showing up in our lives, it actually gives people permission and space to do the same for themselves. Great points all. I can't tell you how much I've seen the ELI work wonders in the workplace and in just people's mindsets of shifting their consciousness from the catabolic stages of lower levels of energy to higher and more efficient mm-hmm. and certainly positive energy space. Yeah. Just to add on to that in teams, one of the things I love about it with teams is, um, and what I like my programs really come from this transformative learning theory of this idea that in order for you to really transform, you need to learn something. And when we learn something new, 
creates a lot of uncomfortability and uncertainty because we're new at it. We don't feel as comfortable as it. And then you need to practice that thing and integrate that thing over a period of time. So when I'm working with a team and we start with the ELI, it's new to everybody. So they all become learners again, right? At the same time. And then it gives them a language that they can start playing with together. So like they can start meetings off and kind of go around and be like, let's do a check-in. Tell me on, you know, one through seven, where are you, right? And that way, like if someone is coming from something else where they're feeling really frustrated, or maybe they're coming from something else where like they just got some news that's really upsetting, they can just name to their team, I'm feeling level one right now. And they're being able to communicate where they're coming from. And then that way the team can be like, awesome. Like, what do you need? What does support look like for, for you right now? And then you're creating more trust and safety within your team, as opposed to what happens a lot of times is, okay, got to get this meeting going. What's the next thing? What's the first thing on the agenda? What's the next thing on the agenda? And then people are like looking around the Zoom room or the real room. And they're like, why is so-and-so look that way? Are they mad at me? Like, did I not do? And all we create all these stories in our head and we don't actually connect. So the framework has just opened up so much for so many of my clients, both on the individual level and on like the team and the group level. How do you enable leaders to be able, it's one thing we've been through extensive training and coaching, but how do you enable leaders to be able to identify those stress signals and that lower catabolic energy in your practice? Yeah. So this, here's where like when everything in my life kind of came together sort of thing, here's where like my dance background and my somatic background comes in. So stress lives in the body. We literally feel it. Our brain does like, we, we have this, like, so the stress cycle goes that we perceive a stressor. So it's a perceived threat. I always say perceived because we can shift what we think is threatening and therefore shift what we, what sounds the alarm in our body and creates a stress cycle. So we perceive this threat. That's the brain. It's hardwired to keep us alive. So it's always scanning for threats. <laughs> and then it decides like, okay, are you going to fight back? Are you going to run away? Are you going to freeze? And it literally releases a physiological response in your body. So that could be, you know, your heart starts racing, your stomach gets in knots, your hands start getting sweaty, your breathing changes, all of that. And then you either fight, fight or freeze. And then it has what we call a strain at the end, which is a consequence, right? Especially if we're not, and it's usually not the greatest consequence if we're not aware of it. So one of the first things in identifying how you're navigating stress is to realize where it lives in your body, right? So for me, I know that when I'm feeling really overwhelmed or certain things are happening, I get a big knot in the low, my low back on my right side, or maybe I feel this sensation in my low belly, which can kind of feel like anxiety and all of that. So I do a lot of work on sensation. And the interesting thing is sensations and emotions. It's just energy and energy is neither good or bad, positive or negative. We attach meaning to it. And that's when we decide something is good or bad. So if we can really just observe the sensation in our body and get curious about the sensation, be like, okay, I'm feeling this thing. What emotion is that bringing up? How can I experience this emotion? So a lot of times people are like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into an emotion. And they, they literally, when you do that, you clench, clench up and you do what's called bracing and bracing is when we're using unnecessarily muscle tension, which creates long-term effects like headaches, backaches, fatigue, exhaustion, all of that sort of stuff. 
So if we can just get curious and be like, okay, I'm experiencing this emotion. What story is behind this emotion? Okay. Now is that story true? Do I have any facts to like support it? Do I want to be thinking this story and this thought? If not, what do I, what would I rather think? And how can I shift my thought to that? And if I then believe that, how does that shift what I'm experiencing emotionally? And how does that shift what I'm experiencing on a sensation level? So that's really getting very into like a somatic mindfulness, conscious leadership way is really feeling it for yourself. And when you can feel that for yourself, you can re-regulate yourself. And when you can regulate yourself, you can then co-regulate for others. What ends up happening in the workforce is we have a lot of dysregulated people. Mm -hmm. And so we're just continuously activating and triggering each other through our dysregulation. So if a leader really wants to create a high performing team, they need to have psychological safety. They need to have trust. They need to have creativity and innovation, and they need to make sure that everybody feels like they can come as their authentic self and they need to be seen and heard and valued. They first have to regulate themselves so that they can hold the space and co-regulate with others. I love that. That's one of the things that conscious leaders need to do first and foremost is to recognize in themselves what stress is so that when they're creating a, a situation that's impactful, it can almost de-stress or, or assimilate some of the stress into more of a more positive tone. I think that's excellent. I don't even know how we've come to the point of using this word in the workplace, but I'm hearing it more and more from my coaching clients. It's the word trauma. Mm -hmm. I've experienced workplace trauma and I'll go into detail. We'll dig into it a little bit and talk about all the things they don't want in their next experience. And at first they've come to me saying, it's my boss, it's my boss, it's my boss, it's my boss. And then they realize some of it is very self-inflicted. There are a lot of reasons for that, right? What I love about what you're doing with the leaders is you're getting them to know themselves well enough to create, and I'm using your terminology, a trauma-informed zone in the workplace. Can you speak to that a little bit in more detail? Yeah. Well, I'm really excited that the word trauma is coming into the workplace because years ago it was like a no-touch word. (laughs) You know, it was like, oh gosh, we can't talk about that. And the fact of the matter is we've all experienced trauma at some point in our life of varying degrees. And at this point, we all have having gone through a pandemic. Um, I also really appreciate you uh, naming some of the things that your clients are starting to realize through working with you of like, oh, maybe some of this is, is I need to take responsibility with how I'm showing up. And that also goes with leaders, right? So Trauma um, also lives in the body. Uh, It can have a similar feeling to the stress cycle. It does actually activate the stress cycle. And when we're not here, and so a little different between like, you know, therapy and coaching, and I'm not a therapist, like healing trauma is more of like a therapy thing. Though when we come to spaces as trauma informed, we're understanding you know, what might activate someone. And I actually have shifted away from the word trigger into activate because it's actually activating our system. And so this has where the co-regulation and the regulation comes in is as a leader, like what are some words that we might be using that might activate something in somebody? And we're not perfect, we're humans, right? And so a lot of it is also how as a conscious leader, are you also 
coming to a space and being open and vulnerable to learning and growing yourself. So there are many times as a facilitator, you may say something that may activate somebody. And hopefully I've created a space where they can then come to me and say, Hey, you know, when we talked about this, you said, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, what, what could I have said that would have been better? Please educate me. Like I'm always learning too. being confident in yourself as a leader. So that's another thing is confidence to be able to say, yeah, I don't know everything. Can we learn together? Can you help me? Can I, can I take responsibility and apologize and, and restore what might've, what damage I might've done. So that's one way of being trauma informed as a leader, also understanding what trauma you're bringing in. So here's what I see a lot as in leaders. And it's something you touched upon before is many leaders go in going, okay, I want to be of service. I want to be of the people. And then all of a sudden it shifts into the administrative, this got to get done, this got to get blah, blah, blah. Just totally understandable because that's what they saw. And that's what their leader always did. So we do what we know unconsciously, subconsciously, And we don't even realize sometimes that that's what we've learned, right? And because many places, workplaces don't have actual leadership training programs and develop programs that are integrated into these, you know, promotional like tracks that people are in, people are fending for themselves. And so of course they're going to like fall back on what was done to them. So I've seen with a lot of my clients who will you know, be really upset about or vent about a leader that they had that was very traumatic to them, or, you know, really created some really negative stories and thoughts in their head. And then they end up doing the same thing to their direct reports, because that's all they knew. And so what conscious leadership does, and what coaching the power of it is, is to help people take responsibility for what they're doing, acknowledge what was maybe happening to them and how they didn't have the skills to respond to that and then give them the tools to be able to practice. And I always say persistent, intentional practice over a period of time to start shifting that. And then hopefully breaking those cycles because what, and then what's happening with like the workplaces and the toxic workplaces is that these trauma cycles are just continuously happening over and over again, because we're not breaking the cycle and creating new, healthier, more sustainable practices. What holds these leaders back with a lack of consciousness is their inability to champion people the way they should. I think that is part and parcel to what we've experienced during the pandemic with people, not just the layoffs, but maybe not backfilling roles that were already vacant. And so that work doesn't go away. So displacing it upon the shoulders of the people you know are going to do it, but they get burnt out. And so the managers have had to play a role in that. As you Mm -hmm. think of some of the clients that you've worked with, can you share some success stories of situations where you feel that the leadership had great potential, but was really floundering and you were able to take your services and sort of raise more consciousness in, in the leaders to have some great outcomes? So what I'm thinking right now is actually a group that I coached. It happened to be all female identifying leaders in the talent acquisition field. They came from all different companies. And so I was doing group coaching with them over a six month period. And what was wonderful about that is, you know, they came in and with varying degrees of actually like involvement of whether they even wanted to do the program. They were like highlighted and starred by their companies. They didn't really know a lot about it. And as we continued over the, the the six months, they started to really create a community where they felt 
really safe to share what was coming up for them, right? So what I noticed with a lot of leaders is they don't, they themselves don't feel like they have a safe place to share what's coming up with them and to be able to process the emotions and the energy that they're feeling, right? And so if they're not given that space to do that and really process it, it then it becomes a projection onto the team because they haven't fully let it go themselves. One of the other things that was great about that was being a, that group was being able to offer different perspectives and ways of looking at different things. So especially in this Zoom world where we can kind of sometimes get really siloed. So coming together in a group coaching sense, being able to be like, oh, wait, I'm not alone. Like that was really helpful for them to know. I'm not alone. It's understandable that I'm going through what I'm going through. And oh, here are some other ways that I can look at my situation that I can, that I don't need to have all the answers. Um, and I keep thinking about this distinction between leader and manager. And one of the things that a woman, a woman in that group said, and I love this and um, I share it with a lot of clients is really starting to think, you know, zoom out high level leadership is like, okay, zoom out. What's the vision, a vision that's happening. Where do we want to get long-term? And then a good manager is zooming in and okay, how am I doing this on a day-to-day basis? But if we're stuck in each of either one of those visions, then we're actually not doing our job. And so she had this wonderful framework that she called, like when we all say we have all these balls in the air, she'll say, you know, which ones are glass balls? which ones are rubber balls, rubber balls, you can drop and they can bounce until you're ready to pick them up or you can bounce them to someone else. So what does it mean to delegate? What does it mean in in a peer sense and delegate down? Like, what does that look like? You have to definitely have some like psychological safety and trust to be able to delegate to a peer. And then what are glass balls that if you drop them right now, they'll shatter. And just in that group, the amount that they were able to support each other and reflect and start seeing some of their own blinders, they left the program being like, oh, I feel more equipped to be able to do the job I'm doing. They were, they felt more empowered to block out their Friday mornings and say no meetings on Friday mornings, or, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going to set the boundary here. And by me adhering to this boundary, it's also giving permission to my team to do that as well so that we don't all burn out. And that's the other thing about being a conscious leader is how are you practicing what you preach? Because that gives permission to your team. Yeah. Walk the talk. That's one of our favorite phrases on the show. In what you're talking about, I'm hearing this resonant, if a leader is encouraged and enabled to show up as their authentic self, then they enable others to do the same. Would you say that's true? Mm -hmm. Yes. I am a huge fan of this person, Brene Brown, and she will talk about daring, brave leadership is vulnerable leadership. And in order for you to have a team, that's like, she uses the word rumble and like, you can't innovate if you're not going to rumble, like there's going to be conflict and conflict is not a bad thing. You know, conflict and confrontation are two separate things, though. I think we put them together so many times and she'll say like, you can't create connection unless there's vulnerability. And going back to my performing days, I mean, the reason why we love entertainment and the arts and performance is because someone in front of us is giving such a real authentic performance. Well, what, what made it authentic? Well, they were super vulnerable and human. And that's what got us to connect with them. That's true connection. And so if we experience that through a concert or through a play or TV show or a movie or anything like that, a musical, like we know that we've all experienced that at some point. 
And then we go into our workplaces and we're like, but I can't be vulnerable, but I need to create connection in my, in my team. And that doesn't like, that doesn't make sense. Like we already know what creates connection, vulnerability, authenticity, and being human. So how can you do that in your workplace so that you actually are creating connection? And then in connection, people will, you know, want to take risks and, you know, then they'll fail because failure is not bad. But when they, when the mistake happens or the failure happens, how do we then look at it and go, what did we learn from this so that we can create something new? I mean, we have so many examples throughout history of the thing that became the most innovative, like breakthrough was a mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, like we, and we talk about those all the time, yet are we actually creating places and spaces within the workplace today that allow for that to happen. What do you find are the biggest barriers to consciousness in leaders? The big thing would be that a lot of people are like, oh, that's so woo-woo consciousness, like a mindful leader, a conscious leader, like that's so woo-woo. There's no space for that, you know, sort of thing. Though I will say in the last like five or six years, I think that's starting to shift. Um, But there are some people that are just like, oh, that's, that's not what leadership it's about. It's about you know, this, this, and this, and this, which I would say is a very, we won't really get into this and this, but like a masculine energy. And that has nothing to do with gender or sex, just like a very forward facing push, push, push energy. And so I think that there's still a lot of thoughts around that. There's still a lot of like, well, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. You know, that is going to, I mean, that's just the blinders and that just cuts off creativity and innovation right there. I mean, that literally is the definition of like, not allowing for innovation is, well, we've always done it this way. Okay. So then how are we supposed to create anything new? So I see that as a barrier. You know, it's scary sometimes to be honest with yourself. I think the hardest thing, and it was really hard in my life too. And that's why I worked with a coach for many years. And I still go to therapy is hard to say, you know what? I'm a part of this relationship or this situation in my life. And I need to take responsibility for my part and be okay with that and not feel shame around it and not feel guilt around that. Or if I do, what are some tools I can use to work through that so that I can really create the life that I want to. And we can't create that life in the workplace or out of the workplace if we're not first ready to acknowledge and take responsibility for our part. But that's scary. It takes courage. And we've not been taught how to do that our whole life for many of us. We blame a lot. I was just going to say, I think we put a lot of the blame on others. We project. I love that you used that word earlier because that's a big one too, where, and we don't even know we're doing it. We sort of mm-hmm. fear what's going on to us and we've deflected onto other people. So we don't have to deal with it. It's hard to deal with mm-hmm. those. Once you see how it can transform the way that you lead and the impact you have on others, it's a game changer. It really is. And we need to raise the awareness and the level of consciousness and leaders. So we stop the bleeding in these organizations. This is such an important thing. How do people best get in touch with you and work with you, Stephanie? So I am on LinkedIn at Stephanie Simpson Coaching. I'm on Instagram at Stephanie Simpson Coaching, Facebook at Stephanie Simpson Coaching. My website is stephanie-simpson.com. And my email is stephanie at stephanie-simpson.com. And you can send me messages through any of those right on my website. There's a link that you can set up a discovery call, which is a free 
a 25 minute um, call with me where I learn more about you. You learn more about me. We do a little coaching and then I can share some of the things that I offer. And I work with companies in a varied way. So like uh, I offer some really in-depth training programs about conscious leadership. I also offer a lot of workshop series that can be used for ERGs. They can be used as lunch and learn series. They can be, um, a lot of people bring me in for stress management workshops and, you know, either it's a big seminar or we like split them up over a period of time. And then I offer both team and group coaching as well as one-to-one coaching for people in the workplace and then individuals if they want to work with me outside of their workplace. This is so very different that it's really something that, I hope that more corporations, businesses, big and small, entrepreneurs think very, very seriously about adopting and shifting mindset because this is a different time in our existence and we need to find different, more innovative solutions that get us you know, back to source. So I appreciate all that you're doing. One takeaway you want our listeners to take away from this podcast, what would that be about conscious leadership? I would say the biggest thing is with more awareness comes more choice and with more choice comes more power. And so like going back to what we were saying before about blaming or projecting, it usually is because we feel powerless. So if we can create more awareness inside of us, that creates more choice, more perspective. And then we get to choose what we want to do, which creates more power and embodiment in our lives, more agency. Thank you so much for joining today, because that's what this entire program is about 52 weeks of empowerment. And we'd love to have you back to a future episode because I know there's more that we could discuss. I would love that. And thank you so much for inviting me into this community. Um, I really appreciate the space that you're holding for everybody. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. We are out of time today, but I will tell you this. If you are a leader and you are being held back by something, you can't quite pinpoint what it is, really enhance the workplace that you work within and create a we instead of a me environment. It may be that you need to unpack some of the layers and really look at how you're showing up from an energy perspective and raise your consciousness. And I hope that we've given you some food for thought in all of this. We'll continue to raise awareness in this regard. And we will be back here next week. Take care. Same time, same place, more power.